Thank you for joining us for session four of attitudes, five attitudes in particular to avoid when you're trying to cooperate with God. We have been studying together sort of from a negative, which is the, the way they tell you to never do it. You don't define your topic by a negative or a what not to do. But I think when we read Psalm 78, the Lord was very explicit and Paul would echo that in the uh, letter to the Corinthians. He said, these things are written for an example to us. They are written to help us um, look on the past and learn a lesson. And he said very clearly to the Corinthians, he said, don't grumble like they did. Don't fall into the traps that they fell into. So sometimes we have to take a little negative look, but the negative look will bring some positive things to our lives. We have been talking about these uh, five attitudes. The first attitude that we said we want to avoid is the attitude of unwillingness. The second attitude was the attitude of unconcern. So we've got unwillingness and unconcern. And then our word in the third study was uh, a mouthful. It was the word unreasonableness. Um, and we want to avoid those things. The word we want to talk about tonight that we want to avoid is the word uncleanness. Uncleanness. Now that's something that we all would say yes and amen to. I want to remind you for, by way of review, that we are basing our study on the entire Psalm 78. It's a unique Psalm. There's not another one like it in the whole book of Psalms in the way that it brings this stuff to the table. But in verses 40 to 42 in particular, this is what the psalmist said. Uh, how oft, I'm reading from the King James, did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I'm reading this from King James because that is a, that is a powerful, insightful phrase. They limited God. Now you and I know, you know, it's like when I was a kid growing up and I would get into a wrestling match with my dad or my brothers, you can mark it down. Whenever I won, they let me. My dad, of course, was dad. My brothers were all, you know, older and bigger and stronger. And um, it was a long time before I was able to win legitimately, you know. But every wrestling match we had, which was, uh, and, and it was big, it, wrestling was big entertainment in those days. And I've got a picture of me um, with uh, Arab headgear on uh, after one of the wrestling characters that we would go see. And um, I was not even two years old at the time. So I look at those pictures and I laugh at the pictures my mom took of me having them in submission. There wasn't a chance. But it's no stranger, in fact, it's less strange than the idea of us being able to limit God. 
Whenever I talk about us limiting God, there's no power shortage on his, his part. There's no strength that we hold over him, no magic formula that we drink. God, in his sovereignty, in the way he chose to deal with us, God limited himself in some areas, and he limited himself in some of these areas to our response to him. Now, he said, if we're unwilling, he will not force us. He said, if you are unconcerned, he said, I'll hold off until you get concerned. He said, if you don't want to be reasonable, if you are trapped in unreasonableness, you need to know it's never going to be on your terms. It'll always be on my terms. And sooner or later, you've just got to come to the table with that in mind. The same thing is true of the word uncleanness. Now, he said, they turned back and tempted God, limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. Let's look at some scriptures tonight as we begin to get a grip on this idea of uncleanness. And let me say this, when we're talking about uncleanness, we're not talking about... Um, man's standard. I mean, just a arbitrary, this is clean, this is unclean. We're talking about what is described in God's word as unclean. Um, if we just go with man's definition, what's accepted in one culture might not be accepted in another. Um, uh, if we talk about man's customs, we can inadvertently, inadvertently offend people not even knowing we're offended. I remember on a mission trip, I won't tell you where it was or what I did, but uh, I, I had done the, equi uh, the equivalent of just flicking somebody off in their culture, and I had no remote idea until I found out that I had offended most of the church leadership multiple times during my message. And, um, but that wasn't that was innocence on my part. And later we all laughed about it, but it wasn't during the morning service that they laughed about it, let me tell you. But when we talk about uncleanness, we talk about God, his standard, his law, his explanation. When we look at the, the law of the Old Testament, we understand that the law was a schoolmaster. The law was unable to save. It's not that the law was weak or defective. That wasn't the purpose of the law. The law was not designed to save. The law was designed to present to us reality. What God is like, what God demands, what we are like, and our inability to please him. And we call that inability to please God uncleanness. Isaiah put it this way, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace, or meaning our restoration, was upon him, and by his stripes we are made whole. It's interesting, when we begin to understand, when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross for our transgressions. The things that I do wrong, I transgressed the law. I crossed a line. I did something I'm not supposed to do. And praise God, the blood of Jesus cleanses me and saves me. 
Peter said, you're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. He was wounded for my transgressions, the things that I do. But it's a subtle difference in, in, um, in English, but it's a powerful difference. Wounded for my transgressions, the things that I do wrong. And he was bruised for my iniquities, the part of me that is just broken. Iniquity may or may not have an action attached to it. Iniquity is just the disease of my soul. So uncleanness, when we begin to define uncleanness, we need to understand that number one, it certainly covers, you know, like in the Old Testament, a ceremonial uncleanness. You touch something you, you shouldn't touch or you eat something you shouldn't eat or you go someplace you shouldn't go. You have a relationship you shouldn't have. You are unclean. But it's more than just a ceremonial uncleanness. It is at the heart of a, of a rebellion against God. But it's not just my actions, not just my transgressions. It's my iniquities. It's that part of me that is dark. It's that part of me that has broken the heart of God. And it's that part of us that can try to resurrect itself. We have a new nature when we become Christians. But every now and then that old man tries to resurrect himself. That's why we need to bury him. You know, when, when something's dead and not buried, it stinketh, as the King James says, you know. And whenever we have stinking behavior in our lives, it's usually because we're not remembering that we're crucified with Christ and that crucifixion occurs daily. So let's talk a little bit about uncleanness. Isaiah 59 verses one through three, you have there in your study guide. It's an interesting passage. It says this, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. You know, if you, if you damage the tendons or you damage the muscles in your arm, you might not be able to fully extend your arm or you might not be able to, to, to use the strength of your arm. And he says, God has not had an injury so that he is unable to save us. His ears have not become heavy with age that he cannot hear. This is what he said. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. You might have noticed that the name of the lesson tonight is bloody hands and dirty feet. And we're going to talk about two kinds of uncleanness. We're going to talk about overt uncleanness. And then we're going to talk about um, uncleanness that may not even be intentional. But it's just the accumulation of life. Sometimes we just begin to smell like the world. Sometimes we just don't even realize how much the world has rubbed off on us. My mom used to tell us this uh, when we were little boys. I, I, oh, I'd, I'd, I'd give all of Justin's money if I could just hear her say it one more time, you know. We would come... Uh, especially during the summer. Oh, we love summer. Summer was its own entity when I was growing up. 
The, the thought of school after June 1st was unthinkable. The, the thought of school bef before Labor Day was unthinkable. You had those sacred three months. Even TV cooperated with you in those days. Um, this is the way network television was back in the 50s and 60s. There are 52 weeks in the year. Every show had 39 episodes and 13 weeks of reruns. Every, every show was like that. And um, what, you would, what that would mean is that not only do you have more light outside in the summer, but you didn't have to worry about TV because you'd already seen the episodes earlier in the year. And you just consulted TV Guide to see what everything was about. And so that means we would play right up till supper time and try to go back out afterwards. And this is what my mom would say. Boys, don't wear your jewelry to the table. And you say, what's wrong with wearing jewelry to the table? Well, when my, when my mom said we were wearing our, our jewelry, did you wash up? Yes, ma'am. She said, then why is there a bead of dirt under your neck? That was the jewelry that I was wearing and my brothers were wearing. And, you know, when, you, when you've got life to live, you don't have time to wash everything, you know. And, and we'd go look in the mirror and yeah, I know this is gross and I know, you know, that you don't want to talk about personal hygiene, but my mom, she was very insistent about it. Go take your jewelry off, come back and we'll eat. Go to the bathroom, wash up, come back and you can eat. That is in effect what we need to do as Christians. Now, the thing about my jewelry that I wore is I didn't usually know I had it on. And it's one thing to deal with sin where you know you did wrong. It's another thing to deal with the accumulation. So let's look at both of those things. Isaiah 5 puts it this way. Not only can there be guilt by deed, as Isaiah said in chapter 59, but he said in, in chapter 5, verse 20, there are those that can be guilty by association. In other words, they don't understand the nature of good and evil Woe to those. And, and let me say this, woe is a very powerful word in Scripture. When Jesus, especially in the New Testament, but it's also true in the Old, when Jesus said to the Pharisees, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, that was almost like a curse. Not that Jesus was cursing, but I mean, it was like there is great ramification for you doing what you're doing. Woe be unto you. The closest thing in our English vernacular might be, may God have mercy on you for what you are doing. And so the prophet says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So uncleanness is not only the things we do, but it's an attitude where we apply or, or we fail to apply God's definition to our lives. Second Chronicles, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. This is Second Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. We know the verse very well. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And here it is, turn from their wicked way. Turn from their wicked bent, their wicked leanings. 
He said, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal, heal their land. And you say, well, that's Old Testament. And it is. And we ought to love the, the Old Testament. But if you're still working on that, let me give you a New Testament verse. 2 Timothy 2.19. I don't think that's in your notes, but it's, it is in, our, in your notes. Good. 2 Timothy 2.19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, there are two pictures that we want to consider as we finish up lesson four um, and you go deeper into your study. The first, as I said, is bloody hands. Bloody hands was a phrase that was universally almost used in the ancient world and even it is endured even to the modern world. The idea of blood on your hands means that you have set your hands to do evil, to do harm, to do hurt. You can do it by mistreating someone, by oppressing someone, by murdering someone, by lying about someone. The blood is just sort of a metaphorical thing, but it implies guilt. I think it's typified by Pilate. In Matthew 27, 24, when Pilate had exhausted everything he could think of to uh, vindicate Jesus and let him go free. I don't mean that Pilate was, was innocent, but Pilate was probably the least guilty of everybody in that illegal cry, uh, uh, trial. He said, bring me a basin of water. And he washed his hands and he said, look, there is no blood on my hands. I am innocent of the blood of this man. Now we, we got a good grip on that when we think of our sin makes us bloody in the sight of God. The second picture, the dirty feet, is a little harder for some of us to grasp because we don't always, uh, we have, not all of us were taught this growing up. Now, a lot of us were, were heavy on bloody hands, but we were never taught to look at our feet. Um, and to understand this, we have to go to Jesus' teaching on foot washing from John chapter 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was now going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, now, Simon, you always seem to know what he was thinking, even when it wasn't wise. Lord, do you wash my feet? In other words, he's saying, Lord, what are you thinking? How many of us have learned that it's not good to say, Lord, what are you thinking? Uh, it's much better to say, Lord, explain to me what you're thinking. But we don't challenge you, Lord, what are you thinking? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. 
Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus was saying, Peter, your relationship and the quality of your relationship with me, and maybe the relationship itself, depends on the fact that I wash your feet. And then Peter, understanding he didn't understand, said, Lord, then don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands and my head. And Jesus does what he does best. When we swing from one out of balance side to the other, Jesus kind of grabs the pendulum of our mind and centers us in, in balance. And he said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. He's completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. I wish I had more time. But you'll discover this as you study more about this. Jesus was making a spiritual picture very clear for his disciples. And if I can cut through all the traditions and the reasons that we know this is what Jesus was talking about, let me just say this. Jesus was saying, when you came to know me as the Lord and Savior of your life, that was your bath. You were washed. You were cleansed. And Jesus, as it were, was saying this to Peter. Uh, we don't know the exact timeline or who did what or what they didn't do. But it was probably something like this. Jesus said, on your, before you came here for the, the supper, you bathed, you cleansed yourself, you went through everything that you did, and you were clean. But something happens every time you walk through the streets of town in open sandals, that is your feet get dirty. That's why when you went to someone's house, they had, if, if they were well-to-do, they would have a servant or sometimes the children of the house would wash the feet of guests, not because you needed a bath, but because the transport through town, you got dust all over your feet. And Jesus was saying this, Peter, this is important for you to know because I'm about to go back to the Father. Everything's about to change. I've been with you and now this is going to be a relationship where you depend on faith more than you ever imagined. He said, you need to understand this. You don't need a bath if you've already had a bath, but you need to allow me to wash your feet at every setting. And I think the lesson of that is simply this. Christian life lesson on your notes, number one, Jesus taught us the difference between a bath and a foot washing. I've told you before about how I got saved several times a year uh, because I sinned every week and I had a very tender conscience and my pastor preached holiness. And so therefore I, was, I got saved and then I made a mistake, so I had to get saved again, or so I thought. But one of the greatest days of my life was when old brother Stevenson sat me down and he said, I know you have a tender heart and I, you're doing right to confess your sins. And he, he did like Jesus did to the churches in Revelation. He built me up before he corrected me. He said, you, you've got such a heart that God can use. And he said, I'm so proud of you. But he said, let me tell you what you're doing. He says, you, you don't have the assurance that you need. And you think every time that you make a mistake that you've lost your salvation. 
And he said something that really rattled me. He said, it's not much of a salvation if it can be lost daily. And he explained to me the dynamic of we come to the Lord for cleansing. Now we know that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's a present active participle there in 1 John. And what it basically says is this. If we are serving the Lord, we're walking in the light and we are constantly being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But the, the inference is this. We come to the Lord realizing that we fail, but we let him wash our feet. We haven't lost our salvation. We haven't, we haven't re-signed and, and purchased a ticket to hell. But he says, it's important that you let me clean you. That's why it's important for us to yield to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important when we're reading our devotions, if God begins to convict us about something, we, we need to settle that. It's not that we're not saved anymore, but he doesn't want us to have stinky feet. My, my eldest daughter, all of my kids have been a phenomenal blessing. When she was a child, I've told this story to some of you before. When she was a child, she loved the water. She loved to play in the water. We had a little wading pool. Uh, it's amazing how many sea battles and, and how many sea serpents can be slain in a little two-foot swimming pool. But we had a wonderful time. Her problem was that when she got out of the pool to come get something to drink or eat or go to the restroom, she got out of that pool and the dirt would cling to her toes and get between her toes and she just couldn't stand it. And so she would panic. I'd have to go get her. She's just a little toddler. I'd have to go get her and I'd have to deal with the dirt and then I'd put her down and she'd take two steps and she's got dirt again. And I had a moment of divine theological inspiration I figured that when she gets out of the pool and walks to the house, I'll just take the hose and instead of washing her and doing it three or four times, I just sprayed the hose on her feet every step she took. She was constantly being washed. And I will, I will never forget the day she realized what was happening. She realized I can go anywhere I want to go. I don't have to worry about dirt on my feet because daddy is spraying me every step I take. And I want you to know that's how God deals with our dirty feet. That's, how, that's why it's important for us to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us because we may think it's nothing and it may be relatively insignificant, but if we don't keep our feet washed, we can develop a hardened heart or we can develop an insensitivity around our spirit. So loved ones, I want to tell you as we, as we follow the Lord, we want to watch out for unwillingness and unconcern that creeps into our heart. We want to watch out for unreasonableness and we want to be careful about uncleanness. We don't want to think that just because we don't feel something that, it can't, that it's not detrimental to us. The last lesson is this, holy living is expected and it is possible through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us as we continue to learn how to not grieve you and how to not quench you. Help us to wrap our heads around these five attitudes that we don't want to have and help us to learn to pursue you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
werden.